You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. You can go ahead and take a seat. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we aren't dismissing our kids because, again, we this is Family Worship Sunday, and... and uh, uh, pardon our dust. Thank you for uh, your flexibility, parents. We don't have pre-K nursery or toddlers available today either because we're rearranging rooms, getting ready for our move up Sunday next week. So again, uh, thank you so much for still being here and being a part of today. Uh, you know, we've been in a series called Mission 101, and as Pastor Craig just mentioned, the theme for our ministry year is discovering your place in God's mission. And that's a really important phrase because Jesus is on a mission. I know your, your company is on a mission too, but Jesus is on a mission. And his mission is, is to push back darkness and to extend his rule and his reign in every place on the planet. And through the message of the cross, we come under his rule, we come under his reign, and we find new life in Jesus Christ and freedom from death. And that new life is his spirit. That spirit connects us. His spirit connects us one to each other. Where uh, people that are completely different uh, are now brothers and sisters in Christ with God as our Father. And last week we saw that he has commissioned us to join his mission as ordinary people living with gospel intentionality, to see lives transformed and to see whole cultures transformed through the gospel. But on this you know, Family Worship Sunday, I want to ask a question. How does that mission, how does God's mission affect my family, and I don't mean like your spiritual family or your sports team family, as important as those things are. I mean your family family. I mean your full house family or your fuller house family or your family matters family. Those are the TV shows I grew up with. Or your all in the family family or your modern family or your Steven Universe family kids. I don't know, just your family. How does it affect your family, your nuclear family? Everyone is a part of a family. Every family has its share of brokenness. And every family needs a vision of how Jesus invades it with peace and hope and joy. And I hope we see two things today from John chapter 1. That's what we're going to be looking at. And I hope that we see that the family is an object of mission and the family is an agent of mission. Family as object of mission, family as agent of mission. Let's pray right before we get into God's word together. God, we're about to open up your word. Holy Spirit, come and help us to see what we're supposed to see, the wonderful things in your word, and give us bold faith to obey what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Let's look at the family as an object of mission in verse 35. Again, John chapter 1, and we're going to have it up here on the screen for you. It says this, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, it's important to note that this is John the Baptist. He's the baptizer. He is, uh, has a, a large following. He is, is kind of a, a celebrity, as it were. He's uh, trending on Twitter. He has a number of Instagram followers because he has his own disciples. But when he sees Jesus passing by, he says, look at him, look at the Lamb of God. And he points his disciples away from him 
to Jesus. And this is what he did earlier in the chapter. If you just scan your eyes up to verse 29, same chapter. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist is pointing to the deity and the glory and the majesty of the lamb, who is Jesus, who takes away sin. Now we know that the only way a lamb takes away sin is by a substitutionary sacrifice. And that's what Jesus does at the cross. He takes away sin by taking it to himself and taking it all the way to the cross. Galatians 3 says it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's a substitute for us, standing in our place. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree, hung on the cross, as a substitute for us to take away darkness. And he does it so well that the next time we see the lamb showing up in scripture is in Revelation 21, where it says the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. That's amazing. Jesus is the lamb taken away into darkness so that he can take away darkness forever. And John believes that he is the Lamb of God. Now, it's important to note that John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, and he grew up with him. And uh, he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's not the only family member. Jesus' mother Mary believes that he's the son of God. Jesus' earthly father Joseph believes he's the son of God. Other uh, family members that show up in scripture, four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, all believe he's the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus has unnamed sisters in the Bible. One shows up in Mark 5. Her name is Salome. And so, and he has others. These family members, listen, traveled with him during his ministry. They saw his miracles. They witnessed his crucifixion. They interact with him at his resurrection. We see them at his ascension when he goes up into heaven. They are at Pentecost in Acts 1. They're listed there. And church history shows them as church leaders uh, leading in different ways in the early church, even in suffering as they lead. Leading one historian to say, contrary to popular opinion, the Jesus movement was quite the family affair. Now, kids and students, you might be able to trick your friends, but the old saying goes, you cannot fool your family. You cannot trick your family. And they weren't tricked. They fully, wholeheartedly believed that this family member of theirs was indeed God's very son, the God-man who can take away the sins of the world. Well, look at verse 37. When the two disciples heard him, that's John the Baptist, say this, they followed Jesus. He just, like, let his disciples go and follow the one that he was pointing to. Verse 38 says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? 
And I can just imagine myself in this moment trying to come up with something profound or very wise because I want this rabbi to receive and accept me. And uh, this is how we know they're young adults. They said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And so that's, what the, that's kind of the, what comes to their mind. And Jesus says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Now, this is an important thing to see about the kingdom. The kingdom isn't just Jesus ruling over us from a distance, shouting commands down at us. It's Jesus inviting us into his life, inviting us into his home. Is there a sweeter invitation in the world than Jesus saying, come and you will see? What a command to follow. Jesus commands that. He says, come All you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, learn from me for I am gentle. I'm lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For the religiously tired of that day, Jesus said, come, stay with me. And to the tired of this day, The first step of mission is to come to Jesus and to spend time with him just like these two people do. Mission starts with friendship with Jesus and he's inviting you today to trust him. If if you've never trusted him, he's inviting you to come and find rest in him. Well, in verse 40, it says this, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, that's an interesting way to set up who Andrew is because Andrew's going to fall to the background as the story of the New Testament goes on. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Okay, there's two people that go and spend time with Jesus. They spent all afternoon with him. Andrew was one, and then there's this unnamed disciple, this guy that we don't know. We don't know his name. But it's Andrew and his friend. They spend all day with Jesus. And verse 41 says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is Christ. So Jesus Christ, that's Jesus the Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It means Savior, King. That's what Messiah means. And Andrew's very excited. We found the Messiah. And he goes to Peter and uh, And Simon, and he brought Simon to Jesus. The first thing Andrew does, it says, the first thing he does is to go and find his brother. And that's the first thing many of us do. If if we were to sort of scan the room and those at home, many of us, when we became Christians, the first person that we went to was a family member, somebody that we care for and loved and and somebody we were excited to tell this good news of who Jesus is and and his salvation and new life in him. And I can remember I did this very thing. The, the, The first thing I did was to go to a family member. I had had a conversation with my mom. I was eight years old and I, yeah, after a conversation, I had gone back to the back kind of patio and I received Jesus. I trusted in him with all of my life. And I wanted to go tell somebody. So I, I asked, you know, where's, where's Joey, my twin brother, twin brother, same age. He's, he's like, okay, I'm like, where is he? And I, I got to go find him. I got to go tell him. Well, he was, he was taking a bath in the bathroom and I just barged in. And I very awkwardly just barged in and said, hey, Joey, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm very excited. And, and he's, 
he says, really? He said, I did that too. I did that last week. And I said, well, well, why didn't you tell me? And he's probably thinking, well, you were taking a bath. And this is really awkward. We don't do this. But family is awkward. And that's how new life happens. That you, you, you come to faith in Jesus, you got to go tell somebody. And you tell a family member. And, uh, and they receive it oftentimes with joy. But not all the times. Not all the times. Going home to family members and telling them about your relationship with Jesus is not always the first impulse of our lives, and it wasn't in Scripture either. In Mark chapter 5, there's a man who is set free from evil spirits, and this man, we are told, begged Jesus that he might be with him and and stay in the, the traveling of the disciples. And it says that Jesus did not permit him, didn't permit him. Begged him. Can you imagine? Like he said, no. He he did not permit him. He says to him, go home. Go home to your friends, to your family members, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. In, In Luke, the man who is paralyzed and healed, Jesus says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Go home. So the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she, she discovers new life in Jesus. She leaves the water jar and went back into the town, back into the brokenness of her marriage, back into the reputation that she had in the town, starts telling people about Jesus, and they all start coming out and following Jesus. It's an incredible commission that Jesus gives us to go home sometimes because home is not the easiest place to tell our family members about Jesus. Well, why is going home so hard? Why was it hard then and why is it hard now? Here's why it's hard. Andrew cannot make Peter believe in Jesus. Andrew's excited about Jesus. Andrew's friend is excited about Jesus. Andrew's going to Simon Peter to tell him, but Andrew can't make Peter believe, and you can't make your family members believe as much as you may want to. And that, friends, is suffering. That is true suffering. Now, Jesus promised this and warned us even of this. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Listen, Your mother and your father, students and kids, do not love you more than Jesus. Your your sister, your brother, nobody loves you more than Jesus. And he says, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sometimes that loss of life is this loss of connection with a family member or even offending a family member when we go tell them about Jesus and about new life in Jesus. We can't make them believe. And that, that's, that's heartbreaking, right? That is a heartbreaking reality that I can, I can point you to Jesus. I can talk about the things that he's done in my life, but I cannot make you follow Jesus. So, uh, we, so we can't. But we can do something. We can do something. We can do what Andrew did. What does he do? Well, he finds Simon. 
He tells them about Jesus, and he brings them to Jesus. And so we can do the same thing. We can find people where they are, our family members. We can tell our family members the truth as we are able and as they are open. And we can keep bringing them grace. We can keep showing up in their lives. We can let them keep showing up in our lives. And this is really important when we think about our family members, that we've got to play the long game and we've got to play the short game. Let's first consider the long game. Lifeway asked over 2,000 people who dropped out of church from 18 to 22. And then after that season came back later in life and they asked the question, what life event made you come back? What, what, what was the scenario that made you come back? And they had a lot of options they presented to these people. What they were surprised by, actually, I heard a guy talk about this. They were shocked by this because they, they thought the number one answer was going to be, can you imagine what the number one answer is? I had children and felt it was time for them to start attending. That was, that was what they thought was going to be the number one answer. I'm, I've been to all kinds of conferences and I've heard the same thing. Once they start having kids, they'll start, you know, attending. Not so. 18%, it was way down on the list, only 18%. Responded that way. Do you know the number one reason that they came back to church? I had a parent or a family member who encouraged me to come back. 37% had a positive relationship with a family member or a parent that encouraged them to come back. Parents, don't give up. You have no... You have no rights to give up. We cannot make our kids believe, but let's not give up. Let's keep finding them where they are. Let's keep on bringing them grace. But let's also realize that we've got to play the short game on this. We've got a limited amount of time with kids. uh, And we have a first thing responsibility. Andrew felt that and we should feel this as a responsibility to tell our students and to tell our kids about Jesus and his kingdom. The largest, consider this, the largest evangelistic ministry in our church happens on Sunday morning right behind me. Uh, Through the summer, Grace Kids, and this is like COVID time and stuff, but through the summer, Grace Kids nursery toddler had 40 kids, pre-K 43, K through 375 Fourth and fifth grade, 26. That's a total of 184 people that we are telling about Jesus. All next generation. I mean, so many of the interns of what they're, they're doing is, is doing next generation ministry, pouring into these 184. And there's a responsibility to these, these kids right here. It's a kind of a first things responsibility. And starting next week, we're going to expand this offering by, by offering for the very first time in the history of our church an optional full-service worship time all the way up through fifth grade in both the 9 o'clock service and the 1045 service. And the reason we're so excited about this is that it provides more instruction during the singing. It adds more teaching time through drama, scripture memory each and every week through, through the singing time, and... We're going to expand our teaching time, and we're going to do that based on a modern-day classic. I don't, I, I don't say that very often about books, but this truly is a modern-day classic called the Jesus Storybook Bible 
And uh, everybody gets one of these today. Every household gets one, not every family member. If you don't take six, if you have a family of six, take one. But these are going to be set up on the table right outside. And this starts next week uh, in that optional full-service worship time. Phenomenal book, parents, that we want to encourage you to read along and, and track along with what happens every Sunday. We're going to be going through that together. We couldn't be more excited about taking advantage of the time that we have. The other thing that this allows, this option allows, is it helps any family in your neighborhood on any Sunday in any service know that we've got a place for them. And and so it's exciting. We can leverage this as an opportunity to reach out to people around us as well. Well, lastly, let's look at the family as an agent of mission. Look at verse 42. It says in verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, it's just interesting. Jesus takes it. Uh, he has all authority in heaven and earth, so he can rename people all he wants. And, and uh, he, he already did that to two other brothers. He did that to uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. It was his idea to call them the sons of thunder, which is just cool. I just think that's cool that Jesus comes up with nicknames for people and they stick for eternity. And uh, maybe you've got a nickname. Maybe he's got a nickname for you that you've never heard before. Well, he called the sons of Zebedee sons of thunder, but he doesn't give two nicknames to Andrew and Simon. He only gives the nickname, the new name to Simon, and he calls him Cephas, Peter. And uh, it means in other places, he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, if you're Andrew, can you imagine this, this scenario? Andrew's the one who spent all day with Jesus, with his friend, this unnamed friend. You know, he, he's the one that went and got Simon and brought him to Jesus But Simon is the one that gets the new name, the new mission. He gets to be the leader of the church. He gets to take the gospel to the Jewish community. And Andrew starts to take kind of the second seat. Now, what what an amazing picture of humility of a brother elevating and encouraging another brother to do more and to do, do beyond what he has called Andrew to do. Andrew sees Peter uh, as he is. He's his brother. And, and there, you, you know your brothers and your sisters, right? You see all their weaknesses and you, you, you're probably listening to that saying, yeah, you're a rock because you're going to fall like a rock, you know? Uh, and he does fall like a rock. The, Peter falls multiple times like a rock. That's probably why, that's probably a double meaning there, you know, with Jesus. Is that, we're going to see you fall like a rock But Andrew also sees Peter become the rock that Jesus says he's going to be. Listen, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. And Peter, who was at one time just this frightened person, unable to stand up for Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks boldly and says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise 
is for you, and listen, for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so what was initially a movement catalyzed by singles starts to spread to families and starts to spread to children. It says those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Like revival breaks out and now you've got people who are like already in families and connected and you got singles and married people and now kids and they're going to now take the gospel out. But they don't take the gospel out until they're scattered out in Acts chapter 6. God literally scatters them all over the place. And as they go, they start sharing the gospel. They start living the gospel out loud in front in, in the communities that they go to. They migrate all over. And as they go, they start churches. Now listen to this. The church in Rome, when Paul writes... His magnum opus on the gospel. This is the book of Romans. I'm reading Romans in my devotional time right now. I'm just loving every, everything in there. But the Apostle Paul did not plant or start the church in Rome. As people were scattered and they migrated and found themselves in Rome, they started, families started these house churches, six or seven of them. Believing family members living on mission together started the church in Rome to the degree that when Paul's writing to the Roman church, he's going to go visit them and through those relationships be sent out from them to Spain. That's his whole point of one of his points of writing uh, the book of Romans is that he says the foundation is laid by these believing family members living on mission and I'm going to move on into Spain. The power of family members living on mission is amazing. Harriet Connor says, initially most churches met in homes. Families were mission bases. Entire households heard, believed, and spread the gospel together. Well, you could say, well, what did these families do? Did they have like some unique sort of supernatural thing going on? Well, in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, Rodney Stark points to these things and they're ordinary things done with gospel intentionality. Do you know what the early church did? These families, they elevated human dignity. They opened their homes with mercy to the sick and hurting. They cared for the marginalized of society when nobody else cared. The Christians did. They shared their faith in the neighborhood, on the job. They invited people into the community to hear the gospel. Now, those are ordinary things. But if we do them with gospel intentionality, trusting in the Holy Spirit, amazing and incredible things happen. That's what happened all over Asia Minor as they scatter and share the gospel. And I know that we're in a, a season of like a loneliness epidemic. And sometimes it seems so passe. Like, does that actually work? Inviting people into the community to hear the gospel, does that work anymore? Well, according to one recent survey, 67% of Americans say a personal invitation from a family member would be very or fairly effective in getting them to visit a church. 67% of the people in our world's family member, they, they, would, they would come visit a church. 63% of Americans 
say a personal invitation from a friend or a neighbor would be very effective in getting them to visit a church. Now, that's amazing to me. Is that not amazing? That a lot of people in our lives would come into the community of God and hear the gospel, whether in a church service or a student event or Alpha or Reengage or anything like that, to hear the gospel uh, by uh, invitation. If we invite, people will come. So how about this? How about we take a couple of challenges? What if we just took that? What if we took you know, the whole idea of what the early church did, families living on mission together, and we took a challenge. Here's a holiday challenge for us all, okay? What if, what if you did this? And I, this is a challenge for me. Right now, we start praying for someone in our family that we can reach out to this Thanksgiving or Christmas. What if we started praying right now? That's the challenge, that we start praying now. We don't wait till, oh, it's two weeks to Christmas and we're going to get to... We got that family dinner and that uh, weird scenario or something. Listen, let's start praying now. Is there anybody in your life that you've given up on? Is there anybody that you've closed your heart off to, a family member that you haven't opened up your heart to? God wants you to open up your heart to that person and start praying for that person. He'll show you what to do. He'll show you how to reach out to them and how to connect with them and how to bring grace into that relationship. But let's start praying now. You might see them this, maybe you'll see them before, but you'll, you'll probably see them this Thanksgiving or Christmas. Let's start praying right now for our family members who don't know Jesus. And what if we did this? What if by Easter, okay, if we had a long time, but you know, I don't know, I just said Easter. That's like way, way away. It's not even September yet. But it's interesting times. And we don't know what's going to happen with COVID and all that. But listen, what if by Easter... As a family, we started praying and asking God to help us invite someone from our neighborhood into our home and into our church. What if we did that as family members? So students and kids, what if you said, listen, mom, dad, we're, we're praying for our neighbors. We're praying for our friends in our neighborhood. We're trying to meet our neighbors. Maybe that's the first step is to meet a neighbor Get a name, start praying, and asking God to show you how to invite that person into your home and into the community of God. That's a holiday challenge and an Easter challenge. I'm throwing that out there. I'm not asking for a verbal response that you're going to take this challenge. I'm going to just throw it out and trust that that seed is sown, and let's let's do this together, and let's, uh, let's trust the Lord for that. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.